Uh, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you. And it is definitely good to be seen by you. Thank the Lord for us being able to get together um, today. God is gracious and merciful to us all that we are able to see another day. Amen. And um, I know as a, as a kind of general consensus, um, the, the, the weeks roll by blurring one into another and often we can just feel extremely spent by the time we get to our weekend. And um, by this point, we're looking forward to a, a, a real vitamin pill of a sermon that's going to kind of give us a boost. Uh, you know, Orange Lucasade, Red Bull sermon. It's going to give us a boost um, and be short whilst we're at it so that you can get some rest and ready yourself for your week. And um, there's no doubt that as we go through our days and weeks, there are those moments where we need to kind of just stop, pause and think about that. Um, that's what the word selah in, in, in the Psalms means. You see this word just appear at random sometimes in the Psalms. Selah, S-E-L-A-H. And it just means stop for a minute. Pause. Have a think about what's just been said. Have a think about what's going on. Before you kind of lunge headlong forward into the rest of your agenda. And so today is one of those times I'm hoping that we'll kind of just stop and pause for a moment and reflect. They say that the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Ever felt like you're going mad? <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And so it's necessary that we take some time to stop and pause, especially in our hardships and in our trials especially in the difficulties and the challenges of life. Because who loves challenges? Who loves difficulty? Who loves hardship? Wouldn't it be wonderful if this sermon was the silver bullet to end all hardship and challenge in your life? Well, I wouldn't be so bold. <laughs> and yet... It may help as we go through our challenges and our difficulties and our struggles. <laughs> Having said that, I'm not sure if it's going to help in the way that you might expect. It might not kind of give the come, up, come from an angle that you would be most expecting. And so, be alert. Because often that's the way of the kingdom. You want to go up, the Lord says, get down on your knees. Humble yourself. You want to increase, the Lord says, give. You want to feel love, the Lord says, love others. See, that's the, that's the great paradox of the kingdom of God. It doesn't work and function in the way that we would intuitively think that it would. But that's how we know it's God, right? And so, let's listen out for the voice of the Lord today. Amen. Psalm 
we're going to be looking at Haggai. And um, I want to salute Pastor Rob for just doing a tremendous job of taking us on our Bible overview um, so far. Um, we got up to the kings and King David last week. And I, I want to tell you that that is an extremely challenging thing to attempt. And the Lord is really giving him grace and blessing us in the process. So for the record, I wonder if we can just give the Lord a big God bless you for our brother. Amen, amen. And so today we're going to deviate from that slightly, although it's going to be consistent with the Old Testament theme. I'm taking us back into Haggai, um, one of those sections of your Bible that is probably least visited. Um, Haggai is known as a, a minor prophet, one of those um, chapters you scroll by as you're looking on your app, doing your reading plan. Or if you still got paper Bible, you know they say the pages are stuck together there because it's hardly ever opened. <laughs> We're going to go to Haggai. And you'll be glad to know there's only two chapters. But um, Haggai was considered a minor prophet. But he had big things to say, as all the prophets did. Minor prophets weren't called minor prophets because they were small in stature or because they were send-outs. Like, this is just the, 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 the insignificant guy that we're just going to send out and give the short message, and then the bigger guys are going to come with the long 66-chapter books. Nah. It's simply because their time of ministry and the message may have been more abbreviated, but they were no less important than those who were known as the major prophets. And the prophets were people who were raised up by God from all manner of walks of life. They weren't necessarily leaders. In fact, most often they weren't leaders um, with, amongst the people. Um, but they were individuals who had relationship with God, upon whose heart God moved to speak to the nation on his behalf. And so the prophet was one who would speak to the people on behalf of God. Now, the priest was generally known as being one who would go to God on behalf of the people. Some priests were also prophets. And yet the prophets had a distinct ministry of calling people to remembrance of the law. Moses was the, the first and great prophet. And all prophecy of the Old Testament was judged by and measured by that of Moses. So any prophecy that the prophet came with was according to the word of God. Somebody needs to say amen in here. Amen. You see, some of us are familiar with being in circles where people are, are accustomed to prophesying. And like myself, you may have found yourself in a situation where you're kind of sitting down, scratching your head, saying, boy, hmm? Because, you know, I know the Lord is given to speaking to us, but he doesn't speak anything that is not consistent with what he's already said. Amen. God is not confused. God does not contradict himself. And so anything that God would say must be measured by that which he has already established to be true. And this was no less true in the Old Testament. God had raised up Moses as a great prophet, had confirmed his word by signs and wonders, and was established as the reference point. 
the law he gave was established as the basis of life and godliness in relationship with God. And so anything that followed was anchored to and referenced by that of Moses. So Haggai comes along and we, um, we have two chapters there and so I'm just going to read through the two chapters and then we're going to pray. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. 
in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to, jo to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answers and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered, and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai 
on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Having listened to this, bar the details, it feels like we could just say amen and just respond accordingly. Such is the, the clarity of your word. And yet, Lord, we recognize that your word was to Judah through Haggai, and yet it is also for us today. And so, Lord, I pray that as we give attention to these verses, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In the same way that the people of Judah heard your word through the lips of Haggai, give us ears to hear and give us willing hearts to respond. Help us, Lord, I pray, in order, in order that you may take great pleasure and be glorified among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So fundamentally, what we're seeing in these chapters is what's known as five oracles or speeches. There are five points at which Haggai comes and says, this is the word of the Lord. The first one is in verses 1 to 11, where Haggai says, fundamentally in summary, God is making it clear that it's time for his house, and that is why you are unfulfilled. I think that we've all experienced the reality of just what it feels like to be on the treadmill, metaphorically speaking. I know some of you haven't seen a treadmill for a long time. I should see it much more often. But metaphorically speaking, and what is, it, what is that, that wheel that the, the mice run on? Ferris wheel? No, oh, the Ferris wheel. Hamster wheel. We, f we feel like we're on a hamster wheel in life. Applying effort, exerting energy, and not really getting very far. Anyone ever felt like that? You look forward to payday at the end of the month, <laughs> and you realize that when it comes, you have much more month than money. And it don't really seem to go too far at all whatsoever. Things that you put your heart and soul into only to see little results. And you kind of wonder why. 
in that situation, there can be a temptation to kind of point the finger in all kinds of directions. We can blame the system. We can blame the government. We can blame racism. We can blame our family. We can blame our parents for not sorting us out and setting us up. We can blame our friends for wasting our time in mindless pursuits. We can blame ourselves for wasting our time in mindless pursuits. But there's something being said here that suggests that for us as Christians, there could be a deeper issue. You see, Haggai is prophesying to a people who have just come out of exile. They've spent 70 years in exile under the Babylonians. Much of this is spoken of in the book of Daniel. So you read about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who were also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're there under Nebuchadnezzar. And you read of the challenges and the lion's den and the fire and all of these things, the dreams. And this is Judah, the people of God, in exile. They've been released now. They've been released with the express intention that they're going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. Now, as we've been going through our Old Testament overview, we know that from the very beginning, even from Eden, God had intended that there would be a place which bore his presence. And in that place, he would have a people who would be blessed under his rule. And this is what he said to Abraham. This is the promise that he made to Abraham. That I will give you a land and make you a great nation. You'll be my people. And you'll be blessed. And so this is the covenant that God has made with his people. And we can be encouraged that God is relentlessly committed to fulfilling his covenant. He is relentlessly committed to fulfilling his purpose. He is not dependent on or reliant on anyone. As some would say, God doesn't watch any face. God is doing what he's doing regardless of who's on board and who's not. And yet he invites people to join him in the fulfillment of his purpose. And he encourages people and he calls on people to join him in the fulfillment of his will and purpose. And fundamentally, that's what life is all about. God is fulfilling his expected purpose. Now, it comes, becomes a problem for us when we lose sight of our place in that picture. When we lose sight of our place in God's purpose. And this is what had happened here. The people had lost sight. Now... In your own time, you can look at the book of Ezra because this season of Haggai's ministry is kind of in the middle of the book of Ezra. Ezra tells us about the adventures of the people as they come out of exile, as they come out of captivity, as they come back to the land to rebuild. And we learn from Ezra that actually they received opposition. They came back with a genuine heart to rebuild. In fact, they came back to rebuild and they had laid the foundation by this point. Now we know that if a building is going to have any kind of longevity, if it's going to have any kind of strength, 
it's only as good as its foundation, right? And so the foundation had been laid. And yet, they received opposition through political intrigue and deception. And they were discouraged from building any further on that foundation. And so they just got on with life. They left the house of the Lord as an unfinished building site. You know those contractors that propose great projects run out of money halfway through. There's been a, a, one or two councils that have found themselves in that place even. Proposing great schemes of, of development only to have it lingering. Some of you will be familiar with the, the, the new Premier Inn round by the um, train station, the other side of, of the train station, the Premier Inn Hotel right there, right on the corner by the rail bridge. And um, I remember going in to the calf opposite, Maggie's, and just talking about how disruptive the works were and so on, and how, how it's been affecting business and so on. And they said, yeah, well, you know what? This, this project is, is, is way over um, budget, and it's way over schedule, and it's been prolonged because they don't have the money to finish it. And as a result, they were suffering because of the disruption to the footfall traffic in the area. These things are not uncommon. People undertake things that they can't finish. We probably found ourselves in that position, right? Given ourselves to a, a, a course of study, we're going to get this certificate, this degree, only to get a couple years in and be like, if that far, need to rethink this. And yet, let's be encouraged. God is a finisher completer, completer finisher. God is faithful to finish the work that he started. The work that God has started in your life, he is faithful to finish unto the day of Christ Jesus. And so with that in mind, it's strange that God's house would be left dilapidated like, like a, a rubble heap. Uncomplete. And yet the Lord says to the people, you've said it's not time to build the house of the Lord. And you could look at that and say, well, actually, that, that, that's kind of a pretty fair thing to say, Lord, because these people have come and stopped us from building. So what do we do? We, you know, we have to follow the law. And God's sentiment is, who's greater? Man or God? Who's greater? We see this in the book of Acts when the, the, the authorities, they capture Peter and John. And, and they beat them for preaching in the name of the Lord. And they, and they want to forbid them from preaching any further in that name. And one of them is wise. I think it's Gamaliel. And he says, hold on a second. Can a man fight against God? <laughs> like, that's a sensible question to ask. Can a man fight against God? I mean, we're going to try and forbid them. But if they're of God, how are we going to stop them? But if it's not of God, it's just going to die out. 
It's going to fade out. So just leave them, let them go. Here we are today, over 2,000 years later. Church across the globe never faded out. Because truly, God is committed to fulfill his purpose. And so despite the, the hardship that we face in life, despite the hardship and the opposition that you face, first and foremost, ask yourself, am I pursuing God's purpose and God's will? God made everyone in his image for his glory built with the capacity for relationship with him in order that we might be a partner with him in the fulfillment of his purpose. God never made us to just pursue our own ends, our own um, agendas, our own ideas, and just seek his blessing, seek his rubber stamp. And that's very often how we pursue life. That's how we go after life. God, I've got this great idea and I want you to bless it. I've got this great idea and I want you to rubber stamp it. When we then run into challenges, it makes us have to step back and think. Hmm. And so we ought to. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord turns around and says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, your well-built, well-constructed, well-furnished houses, while this house lies in ruins? There seems to be some kind of loss of priorities here. You notice, God doesn't actually... Um, come against them for the fact that their houses are well built and so on. It's for the fact that their houses are well built at the expense of his house being left brought down. So God says, consider your ways. And then he begins to highlight the fact that actually, look, you guys have been seeking fulfillment. You've been seeking um, prosperity, you've been seeking success, not to find it. Working hard, sowing deep, and yet without the hoped and expected outcome. As you sit down for a minute and you think about your journey, you think about your struggle in life. Is there a sense in which you are neglecting the Lord's house in pursuit of your own dreams and visions, in pursuit of your own fulfillment? You might say, well, what is the Lord's house? I mean, I come on a Sunday, I help out a little bit when I can. I mean... Is that what it's all about? Well, let's think for a moment on what the Bible tells us is the Lord's house and how this relates to us as New Testament believers. First and foremost, as Pastor Rob said last week, 
Jesus is the temple that was promised. He is the house of the Lord. And so David had said, Lord, I'm going to build you a house. And the Lord said to David, no, I'm going to give you a dynasty. Your son will build me a house, but am I a God that can dwell in buildings made by man's hands? I'm bigger than that. The building is merely representative of my presence among you, my dwelling among you as the people, as my people. And yet we see that fulfilled in Christ. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of his body. And so he is the fulfillment of the Lord's house. The scripture goes on to tell us that those who are in Christ, likewise, are the Lord's house. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What kind of house? To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, the priest lived and functioned in the realms of the temple where they offered sacrifices. So when we consider the temple, we're not just considering the space in which we meet. This isn't the equivalent. We're not considering buying our own buildings. That's not the equivalent. It's the people of God. The people of God we all used to hear and it said, right? Church isn't a place, it's a people. I'm not into religion, I'm into relationship. <laughs> hmm. It stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. So for those who, who believe in Jesus, our lives are being built on the foundation. Haggai, Ezra, the people laid the foundation. Christ is the foundation which has been laid. And as those of us come to faith in Jesus, our lives are being built on that foundation as a people, knitted together like living stones, cemented. But for those who don't believe, it says that this is a stone that causes people to stumble and it's a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. And so as you think about your struggles and you're stumbling through life and you're desiring to get ahead, the most fundamental question you have to ask yourself first and foremost is, is your life built on the foundation of Christ? Because listen, it doesn't matter how much money you make, 
It doesn't matter how wealthy, how well-known, how popular, how much property and so on you have. It doesn't matter how high your status. It doesn't matter who regards you. If you are not built on Christ, you will never be fulfilled. Never. You'll never. We hear of celebrities with more money than we even know how to quantify. Businessmen. These people taking their own lives in despair. And we say to ourselves, well, if I was them, that wouldn't be me. And yet we don't understand the, the challenge. Like Biggie Small says, more money, more problems. We live in a council flat, we buy our own place. We buy our own place, we've got more bills. All of a sudden, we've got buildings insurance. We might be a leaseholder. We're now getting stung for the developments down the other end of the block. Come on now. They're fixing the, they're fixing the roof at the other end of the block. It's got nothing to do with you, but you're paying for it. All these responsibilities, like, you're a homeowner. Hey, oh, really? Mm, oh. You know? The things that men value are nothing to God. So is your life being built on Christ? Is your life being established on the sure foundation? Because when our life is being built on the sure foundation, we will, we will know what contentment means. Because to have Christ is to have more than all the riches in the world. More, more than all the houses and cars and more than any kind of job security. To have Jesus. God said to Abraham, I am the almighty God. I am the El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Are you enjoying relationship with the El Shaddai? The one who is more than enough. I remember a brother shared a testimony at Impact Service and he said, you know what? I became a Christian and I could sit down and watch paint dry. I had such peace and contentment in my life. And I said, amen, because I know that feeling. And yet, even as a Christian, we can get our priori priorities confused. And we can buy into the values and convictions of the world that we've come from. And sometimes it's through opposition and pressure. You know, peer pressure is one thing, right? Parent pressure is another. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Come on now. <laughs> peer pressure is one thing. It's bad enough to feel like you've got to try and keep up with the Joneses. You know, that when you kind of have the reunion... Like, ah, so what are you doing then? Where are you living? Oh, what car are you driving? I remember one time leaving my aunt's house. I, um, we just got married, and I had my car keys in my hand, and um, I was saying goodbye. And I, I remember coming to the door as I was leaving. Oh, I didn't know you cared that much, you know? Really kind of walked me to the door, see me. And... Um, I saw her come to the door and stand outside. 
as I went to get in the car. And I'm thinking, did I forget something? Have I got something of hers? She's there watching me, looking to see what car I'm getting into as I'm getting into my little two-door Ford Escort. And I just laughed to myself and I thought to myself, these are the things that are important to some people. It was so important to her that she had to follow me out and strain her neck to see what I'm driving. Like, really? Peer pressure is one thing. Parent pressure now. <laughs> Listen. If you're not on track to be a doctor like Anu, <laughs> uh -huh. a lawyer like Harriet Afudia, <laughs> see these, these are the ones who won. <laughs> they got the smiles of affirmation. When the, in the family gatherings, they get wheeled out. <laughs> Am I lying? Uh, uh? <laughs> but if you're not... <laughs> yes! Uh-huh. Now, what if that's not God's purpose for your life? I mean... Let's say the Lord wants you to have, start a creative company. <laughs> and and he's going to use you in that lane for his glory. I know many of you are saying, well, you know what? I'll get the law degree and then do the creative thing <laughs> because I will never hear the end of it. And I'm not trying to play down education. The, the, the creation mandate, the cultural mandate, is to go out and have dominion. And so there is, there is a God-given motivation for us to go and learn and excel in learning and in life. Because that's part of us being faithful to the creation mandate. Go and take dominion. As we learn about our environment, as we learn how to um, manipulate it for, for beneficial purposes, as we learn how to interact with it and how to interact with others and so on and so forth, we're in a much better place to be used by God. But those things are not supposed to define our lives. It's exam season, right? I want to encourage all of you guys doing exams right now. Your life doesn't depend on your results. Your life doesn't depend on your results. They don't define who you are. They don't state whether you are important or not. They don't state whether you are valuable or not. You are made in God's image and God's likeness for his glory and for his purpose. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't revise. <laughs> don't use that as an excuse. I say Pastor Ephraim said I don't want no texts and no WhatsApps and emails. Yeah? You are called to give your all. You are called to do your utmost for his highest. But let us not allow those things to deter us 
from the house of God. Giving ourselves to the house of God. So we see scriptures like, and let us consider how to stir one another up. Now remember, the house is the people. So it's talking about our relationships and our commitment as a response to Jesus to one another. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. <clears throat> Church is not about meetings. But it's not less than about meetings. Church isn't all about meetings. You know, this isn't like um, the business world where you, you, you get into meetings, you have your agenda, you knock it out, you go out and you get on with it. And you do your thing in a really kind of individualistic way. It's about relationship before function. And so the meeting together is a place where we're supposed to relate. We're supposed to connect. And evidently, we understand that Sunday isn't enough. Because we don't really connect. It's superficial. It's surface level. And so we're always going to feel frustrated. If you feel like you haven't really connected and you don't really know anyone, but Sunday is your only point of fellowship, then you're going to continue to feel like that. Because it's an immature expectation. The Bible itself doesn't even advocate that. It calls us to be gathered for the reading of God's word and for its explanation. But this is one aspect of the whole. This isn't the whole deal. And as soon as we reduce our relationship as a body down to Sunday, then we've missed it. And so... Small groups, formal and informal, whether it's community group, whether it's women's, small groups, but also serving together. These are all part of God's means by which the body is connected and nourishing and encouraging one another. And it takes commitment. I heard somebody say people want... Loving deep relationships without the commitment to the work that it takes. We see that in church, we see that in families, we see that in marriage. <clears throat> Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to note that. As you see the day drawing near. What day? This is the day of the Lord's coming. Note that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Notice it doesn't say, and look for others to encourage you and look for others to build you up. It doesn't say that. The exhortation is to us to take the initiative, to, to, to have a sense of responsibility and consideration, to be able to consider others before ourselves. Too often and for too long, we find ourselves in a place where we sit down moaning and griping, belly aching over how 
we're not noticed and no one phones us and no one checks us and no one don't come and visit us and no one don't email us and I don't even get the church emails and you've never given your email to be emailed. You've, you've, never, been given, you've never given your email to be emailed. You've never given your number to anyone. Furthermore, whose number have you got? Whose email have you got? We need to grow up. And let's, let's, let's actually take the Bible for what it says and not impose on it an emotional response that we want it to say. Now again, one of the things that we see in these two sections here, Hebrews 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, is that it's in the context of the Lord's coming. It's in the context of the Lord's fulfillment of promise that the Lord is going to come again. And this is something that the people of Haggai's day lost sight of, that God was going to fulfill his promise. And we see this later on in chapter 1. And yet, we too find ourselves in a place where I feel a lot of our lack of focus and purposefulness is because we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he is bringing to conclusion this age of men. He is bringing it to conclusion. And he is going to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. And all those who are his will rejoice forevermore in his presence. We live a short-sighted, now-focused Christianity. We're going to be a people who neglect the Lord and his people and his house. I remember speaking to a brother who came over as a missionary from the States to plant a church. And um, he left a comfortable business and left... No, man. All right, never mind. Left a comfortable business and left, you know, family and everything, left possessions and belongings. And I was just like, you know, it's such a sacrifice to leave these things that you've worked so hard for over the years to come and be a missionary here, plant a church, and want to see the, the Lord glorified through that work. And he said, mm, well, you could look at it like that. And on the other hand, you could look at it as being something that's all going to go up in flames at the end of the day anyway. <clears throat> when the Lord comes, he's going to purge the earth by fire. All of the things that we hold dear, incinerated. The earth's going to be renewed. So we work so hard for houses and stuff. It's all going to go up in flames. Reputation is going to mean nothing. All of our accomplishments. But a distant memory. So let's keep things in perspective. But also we see that the necessity of us Considering the Lord's house is also that of outreach. So there is that of in-reach, loving one another, encouraging one another, 
caring for one another, considering one another, but then there's also that of outreach because we're called to go out and make disciples. And there are people who are not yet in the house of the Lord who are due to be according to God's plan and purpose. And God gives us the privilege to join with him on mission, reaching out to those who are lost in the same way that we were reached out to. In the same way that someone reached out to us. And yet we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're more concerned with what people think of us than we are with their eternal destiny. So the Lord says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What do we do instead? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a matter of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. There's no point sitting back and lamenting things aren't what they used to be. I feel so discouraged I can't be bothered. God challenged the people. He challenged them. You, you, you saw the house as it was before. You saw, you're old enough to see what the temple was. And you read in Ezra, when the temple was finished, the people who were like the, the new school, they were all rejoicing. And yes, we finished the temple. Bless the Lord. And the old school were all crying. This ain't what it used to be. This ain't nothing to sing and shout over. This is like a little masonette compared to the mansion. That the temple was. And the Lord's saying, look, you may sit down and reflect on better days and feel discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Continue to keep your hand to the plow. Continue to press on. Why? Because there is going to be a greater fulfillment. We recognize even what we see in our time, the ups and the downs of, of, the, of the Christian life, is something that's going to come to an end. We have a glorious expectation. A glorious expectation. Revelation tells us that God is going to come and make his home with men. And we will dwell with him forever and ever. Amen. And so we know the end of the story. We win in the end. So let us be faithful. And yet God challenges them. It's all well and good seeking first the kingdom, but you have to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. There are no shortcuts to holiness. And... Doing good works isn't sufficient 
for us to be pleasing in the sight of the Lord because it is a matter of the heart. And these people were happy to engage with defiled things on one hand whilst engaging with holy things on the other. And so there's this sense that they were just simply appeasing God by doing whatever he wanted whilst they continued to do what they wanted. They continued to engage with defiled things. Maybe this was things that they picked up from Babylon. And yet God says, look, just because this thing is holy that you're handling, just because you touch something else, that doesn't make it holy because you're handling and doing holy work. But actually, if something is holy and it is touched by that which is defiled, it becomes unclean. So let's not palm God off with a couple scripture retweets, reposting a few inspirational quotes and thinking that the Lord is really impressed by that. What is required is a change of heart. And this is what we see at the end of chapter 1, where the Spirit of the Lord stirred up the hearts of the people. This is why at this week we're going to pray and we're going to fast, that the Lord would change our hearts, that we would put ourselves before Him and say, Lord, here we are. Change us, stir our hearts, renew our hearts, that our hearts would want what you want and not just what we want with your blessing on it. See, God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Zerubbabel was of the line of David, who we heard about last week, to whom God promised the dynasty. And God, in the last verses of chapter 2, declares that he is going to use Zerubbabel and hold him up as a signet. And often when God would speak to an individual, he wasn't necessarily speaking to them exclusively, but to their legacy, to their history. Now, it may not be obvious, but we see the fulfillment of his promise to Zerubbabel in Christ Jesus, who was a descendant of Zerubbabel. There is a glorious expected end that may not yet be in sight. But the part that we have to play in contributing towards that end is important. God has a greater purpose for your life than your comfort. He has a greater purpose. That's low-level living. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be happy. Isn't that what people say, right? God has a greater purpose for your life. Your life is to mean more than that. And so let's take opportunity to reflect. Let's take opportunity to reflect on how the Lord might use us. There are ways in which we can love the body more faithfully. It may be in just being more committed to spending time with God's people. 
on a consistent basis. It may be more faithful in giving financially towards the work of the ministry. Making small sacrifices. Little less coffee. Not eating out so much. Often we blow these things up in our mind to be big things, you know. Well, I'm not able to give an extra £500 a month, so I won't give anything. Sometimes it's using our abilities to be a blessing to the work of the ministry and the people of God. Whether it's time, treasure, or talent, it all starts in the heart. Is your life built on the foundation of Christ? You see, Christ was in Gethsemane, and he had the opportunity to call it a day. He had lived a sinless life. Sinless. And at the end, at that point, as he was drawing near to death, he could have said, you know what, Lord? I've done enough, you know. They know that I'm God. So let me just call it a day here. Finish these corrupt Jewish leaders. Finish these Romans. Let your kingdom come. And I just avoid the suffering. I avoid the ultimate sacrifice. I avoid the pain. I avoid the death. Because really and truly, I can. Jesus could have said that. And there would have been a clear sense that his sinless life and the miracles that he worked and the, and the preaching that he gave would have been sufficient up to a point. Because for those who know, we understand that if Jesus had stopped short there, we wouldn't be saved. We would know that truly he is the son of God as we burned in the torment of God's judgment. Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Jesus didn't just lay the foundation of a, a sinless life, a godly life. But he went even unto death. He completed the mission that he was assigned. Through the pain, through the suffering, through the struggle, through the humiliation, the embarrassment, through the torment at the hands of those he made. And yet he gave himself fully and completely to the Father in order that the will of God be fulfilled and in order that we would have eternal hope. And so as you go through your struggles, take a moment to think about just where you may be neglecting God's primary purpose for your life. His primary purpose for your life being his pleasure and his glory. I'm going to ask the team to come back and join me. God is faithful to finish the work that he started 
God is no one's debtor. God doesn't owe anyone anything. We owe him our all. Because the Lord gave his all for us. And we need to consider just what that looks like beyond the songs that we sing. Better is one day in your courts, we sang. But we only spend one day in his courts a week. got to be more than just words. Faith without works is dead. Where does the rubber hit the road? So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.